0: Nothing in Jewish life is simple. Nothing in Makhshavah is simple. Everything is nuanced. Everything is sophisticated, needs to be qualified, and the same is true about the three weeks and about Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'av is an extraordinarily sad time, and yet there's an element, an undertone of happiness. There's an element of Chag, of a Chag that should have been and a chag that will be, and yet a happiness even within a day. Once we get to chatzos, the day begins to loosen up in terms of the avilas. Now, what I want to do is I want to delve into the real pure sadness of Tisha B'Av. I want to delve into what we lost, but I also want to keep in mind the qualification that needs to be kept in place the entire discussion which is that there is no such thing as pure sadness in life, and there's no such thing as pure inspiration. Whenever you're trying to be inspired, you have to keep in mind the serious and the unfortunate aspects in life. And whenever you're trying to tap into the sadness, especially through Weeks and tish above, we need to keep in mind that the goal is not to be just broken, unqualified brokenness. No, the goal is to be broken to understand what we lost so that we can use it to journey towards where we're supposed to be going. And that's the most important point about Zman. Zman really comes in the root of Hazmana, to prepare. The whole purpose of time is to allow us to journey towards destination. And that's what a Yom Tov is. That's what a Moed is. Moed means a time that leads towards destination. And when we enter into this time period where we're entering Tisha B'Av, we need to really focus not only on the brokenness and the sadness, but also what it's trying to teach us, what we're trying to build. Because Tisha B'Av, very simply, is where we lost the deeper, more potent, more powerful connection to HaGosh Baruch Hu that we once had. Zman of Nevuah, Zman where the Beis HaMikdash was just a whole different reality. The world was different. And now we live in a world without the Beis Mikdash, without Navu, without miracles, without an open revelation of Akash Baruch in the world, And we need to think about what Tisha B'av is trying to teach us. So in addition to the obvious, which is the Beis Mikdash was destroyed, that's what Tisha B'av is really about. And there, there are five things that have on Tisha B'av. we're, we're going to really focus on the Beis Mikdash today. But there's a very strange Gemara we want to focus on. And the Gemara is actually in... The, the Gemaras that are that are, the gemaras that are mutter to learn on Tisha B'av. So Tishbov you're not allowed to learn Torah. It's like the identity of a Jew is Talmud Torah. It's a Talmud Chachem, someone who's Ohev oh, Hashem and oh, Torah. And Tisha B'av, you're not allowed to learn Torah. But you are allowed to learn Gemaras and Torah that relates to the sadness of Tisha B'av and that which we lost on Tisha B'av. So there's a certain selection of Gemaras, specifically in Gittin, which are the famous Gemaras of Tisha B'av that you're allowed to learn. And one of these Gemaras is absolutely strange. The Gemara is talking about Titus, Titus HaRasha. And the Gemara says, what did Titus HaRasha do? That Tidus HaRasha, shecherif klapi klapimala, who profaned, and he you know, it literally means like blasphemy, he, he desecrated HaKadosh Baruch Hu. so what did he do? Tofa zona biado, veNichnes l'bis so he took a, a harlot and he entered into Kosha Kedoshim, the Holy of Holies. He spread out a Torah scroll, Sefer Torah. The other, he committed sin upon it. He took a sword and he slashed the Parochas. What's going on here? He took a Zona, took a Sefer Torah, slashed the Parochas. So what did he do then? A miracle occurred. A miracle occurred for Jesus. What's happening here? Blood came like bubbling came, like, squirting bubbling out of the parochas. And Titus thought he killed Atma. It Rashi says it's a it's a euphemism for Hakash Baruch. Titus thought he killed you can't even say he can't even say these words. He just thought he killed. What does that even mean? What is going on here? Such a strange Gemara. Such a strange Gemara. The Gemara, you can find the Gemara in Zan Daf Nun Vav Ame Be'ez You can read it for yourself. It is one of the strangest Gemaras you'll come across. So the question really is like this. What was Titus trying to accomplish? How could Titus go into Kiddush HaKadoshim? What does it mean that he took a Torah scroll, took a zona, and performed in that vigor? In the Kiddush then he slashed the parochist, like, performed a neis, and blood came out of the Prochas, and Titus thought he killed Hashem? Titus thought he killed Atzmo? What is going on here? So let's, uh, we need to really, if we're going to do a start, we're going to need to spend some time delving into some of the most fundamental core concepts of deeper Torah. But on the most basic level, we need to approach this by understanding the basic, what what actually happened, what does it mean? Before we understand why it happened and how it could have happened, what is the Gemara actually saying? Well, let's just pull apart the pieces. So first of all, has entered into Kodosh in the Beis hamikdash, you have the azarah, you have the heichal, and you have the kodesh kadoshim. No one goes into the kodesh kadoshim except for the kohen gadol. on one day of the year, yom kippur, when we're all malachim, we wear white on yom kippur. We say brach shen on yom kippur because we're malachim. Only malachim can say brach shen aloud. We we don't uh, engage in the physical on yom kippur. The one day a year where we are the most transcendent, we are the most angelic, the highest, most angelic one of us, the kohen gadol is able to go into the kodesh kadoshim, and he says the you know. Shemavai says, Yudke aloud, where we can't say that name in this world because it's not a physical name. It's not a name that is representative of something finite and concrete. It cannot be spoken. Dibor is physical, it is a finite expression of the ethereal. It cannot be spoken in this world except for Anyam Kippur, where we are ethereal. We are angelic beings. So, what is going on? Titus, how Russia enters into the Kosha Gadoshim? How is that even possible? That's number one. So, It is important to note that we're talking about the second base hamikdash. Second base hamikdash was on a lower level than the first base hamikdash. There was no aron in the second base hamikdash. There were no kruvim in the second base hamikdash. Why? Because Shlomo HaMelech, he built tunnels underneath the base hamikdash when he originally built it because he knew there would be a time where it would be destroyed. That's a whole other topic. We can't go into that right now. But what happened is that Yoshiyahu hid the aron. Hid. The kruvim underneath, and really other things as well. We're not going to go as a whole beautiful topic. Uh, you know, some talks about how the menorah is still a flame underneath, and those tunnels hidden away. We can't see it, but it's still there. That connection still there. We're going to talk about this. It's a very deep idea. But th- this was a lower base to make though. So the kruvim weren't there. The Arwen wasn't there. It-, it was a. It was not on the same level. the The level of shchina, the level of connection to Barucho, was still not the same level. Um, during the second base of as the first base of so That's important to qualify before we begin our discussion. The second base of is a whole different story than the first base of There's a fascinating discussion whether the second base of is really considered to be a rebuilding of the first base of or if it was just a moment of inspiration within the galus, and this, the third base hamikdash is going to be the true rebuilding of the first base hamikdash, because the second base hamikdash never really got back to where the first base hamikdash was. So a whole debate how to identify the second base hamikdash, the kedusha arts, the kedusha of the base hamikdash during the second base hamikdash, and what its level is relative to the first one—that's an interesting topic. So that's one way of understanding how it's even possible for Titus to enter into klal shakdashim. Well. We're, we still have to say, even if the Beside Mikdash was on a lower level, the Kosha was probably not a lower level. So that's a really interesting question. A second problem with his entering into the Kosha Kudoshin, besides the fact that we're talking about like, the, the holiest place in the world, is that it doesn't make any sense. Why is it that the Kongelo can only go into the Kosha Kudoshin on Yom Kippur? Because the Kodesh HaKadoshim is a place beyond place, a place beyond space and time. The rules of space and time don't exist. There. Why? Because that is the point of creation. The Evan Shasia, which is placed right under the Kosh HaKadoshim, is where the physical world came into being. It's where the physical world emanates from. That's why the, the Chazal talk about the concentric circles. We've talked about this many times, concentric circles of space. The rest of the world abides by the laws of physics. Once you get to Eretz Yisrael, laws of physics begin to fall apart, begin to, so to speak, loosen up. So Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Hatzvi. Why? Because just like a tzvi, just like a deer, the skin, when you take it off, you're like, how could it possibly fit on that deer? Eretz Yisrael is so small and it always fits its people. There's never been a time where Eretz Yisrael can't fit Klai Yisrael. And even more so, Yerushalayim? All of Klai Yisrael will be all the records during the Shalai during the three high festivals who come to Eretz Yisrael, come to Yerushalayim. And no one ever said they didn't have a place to say. Because I'll say, if you look at the Gemara. The Gemara says that no one ever said they didn't have a place to say in Yerushalayim. How is that possible? Usually packed and Golem, Everyone's all the regal. The Azara, the mission of us says that when they would stand up, it would be really crowded. But when they bow down, everyone had plenty of space as you're getting closer to the adventure closer to the kosha HaKadoshim. There's a beautiful Muser idea as well. When you negate your ego, a lot of space opens up. That's beautiful. But the deeper idea is that once you go into uh, the makkam, where space and time come into existence, the rules of space and time cease to exist. We haven't really mentioned this earlier, but once you get to the heichal, that's also when time begins to fade. Why? The rules of time and space, because the bread would stay fresh seven days a week the rules of time aren't applying to this bread once you get to the actual root to the evidence to see the no time and space exist no rules of time and space exist the gemara says that the aron took up no space the aron took up no space how is that possible everything it was a physically it had it halakhically it had to have physical dimensions it says in the torah what the dimensions are yet it took up no space so chazal say there's no problem because when you're in the Kosha Kadoshim, the rules of time and space don't exist. So, if that's true, how in the world can Titus Harasha enter into Kosha Kadoshim? It makes no sense. We're talking about the holiest place in the entire universe. And Titus Harasha is entering and not only entering there, taking a harlot, taking a safer Torah, and doing a virus, slashing the parochas. What is going on? What does this mean? So, to really understand this, we have to understand a, a couple points. Number one, and the Maharal talks about this in their mitzvah, it develops a beautifully deep idea. And we're not going to, to go fully into all of these topics, all these concepts need full shear. That, that's the way Torah works. Everything always needs a full shear, but in order to give any specific shear, you touch upon countless other topics which need to be fully developed. And those countless other topics build the structure of the topic you're developing. Now, everything is needed to understand everything, but in order to understand one thing, you have to really delve into that one specific thing. while will also touch upon many other things. So it's true that we can't touch upon all these topics in depth, but we're gonna build the structure and then really delve deeper into what Titus Orestha was trying to do, what it means that like he thought he killed Atsmo. What is Atsmo? What is Etzen? And to do that, we need to understand this principle. How could this Russia enter into the Kalashogadoshin? So the Marl develops this beautiful idea, which is that, number one, evil always matches good. Everything is potential, which means that every positive force has an equal negative force. Everything in the physical world can be used for the good or the bad. So we talk about how electricity can be used to light up a house or to electrocute someone if there's, well, really we say how it can give you a shock, but if you have more electricity, it can light up a community or it can electrocute you. Uh, Wisdom can be used to, inspire and expand people's minds, help them achieve their potential. It can be used to corrupt and to do horrible things. Money can be used to support uh, institutions and Torah. It can be used to create corruption and chaos and death and murder. So everything in the world, every physical thing is potential. But the way that the cosmic meta-spiritual concepts are constructed is that every positive force has an equal negative force. So the Ramchal talks about this in Tremendous Depth in Das Tsunas, and the Maral also talks about this in many of his firm, that everything, every positive force has an equal negative force. So why is that important here? Because every spiritual deep concept within Torah thought has an equal corrupted concept within we'll call it the, the non-Jewish realm, within the, the realm of evil, the realm of corruption, the realm of chaos, and the realm, we'll just call it the realm of evil, and the concept of evil. So the, maral talks about how the soul, the, really the soul is five parts, but we really only have access to three. We have access to the nefesh ruach and neshama. The, the nefesh is the part of the, the soul, part of the self that connects to physical things, that, that animates physical life. So the fact that you're able to be connected to a physical body, that's the aspect of your soul called the nephesh The part of your soul is able to uh, connect to intellectual, spiritual concepts and ideas, that is the neshama, that's the highest part of your soul. And the ruach is the intermediary between those two. It is, so to speak, the place of the emotions and emotional experience, which is the connection between physical and spiritual. Emotion, it's where Ideas affect motion. They affect your physical body. So when you, the, the, the Vilna Gaon talks about melach, which is moach, lev, kaved, which is when your thoughts, the neshama affects your leiv, right? The, the ruach, the emotional, and then that affects your kaved, which is the, the literally means heavy, but it's also your kidneys. It's your most physical. It's where you express into the physical world. It's where the ideas affect your emotions, which affect how you express and live in the physical world. The idea is for it to be that, trajectory, which is obviously why Bilam tapped into Kaleem, which is the opposite of Melech, which is corrupting that trajectory. It's destroying the connection between the spiritual emanating into the physical, which is the concept of the Bracha, which is why Bilam is the Ish-Kwala, he is the man of curse, of destruction, of chaos, of pure Din, which for those of you who that went a little above their heads, it's absolutely fine. These are deep concepts which we've given many sheer amount before, and it touches on very deep ideas. What's the idea here? The idea is that the highest level of the soul are two more aspects of the soul. Chaya nechida. But we're not going to get into that. That's like the five levels of the soul, five levels of the world, five Olamos. But for our sakes and purposes, for our sake and purposes, the three levels of the soul, the neshama, ruach, and nefesh, they all connect to something higher, which is the fourth level, which is the realm of, uh, the Ramchal and the Maharal will talk about this concept of atzilus, but without getting into the complexity, it's a realm of oneness, a realm of root, a realm of absolute seed, root, perfect harmony and oneness. It is absolute perfection, it is the root of reality, it's yud it's the realm of atzilus. What's going on here? each of the Dalad Malchios, each of the four Malchios, they are connected one of those aspects of the soul, one of those midos, one of those concepts of self, and they come to corrupt each of those concepts. So without getting into all of the complexities, because it's a whole topic, and the, in the, in the near midst of the Maharal really delves into this, but the Nefesh, which is the physical, that's Madai. That's the, the holiday of important. Bavel, that's the Ruach that's you know covered it's a, it's the emotional it's ego it's I it's the self it's a, a lower level of self remember these are all beautifully deep concepts that we can't explain everything because this would be a 25 hours here which I'm more than happy to do but for the sake of practicality is just not possible but for our sakes and purposes we're now going to go to the next level so now we get beyond the physical and the, and the emotional the ego the this the, the lower sense of ego at least the ego that's connected to lower values. Remember, the ego can be uh, that which reveals the ultimate truth. The ego is just a vessel. So the ego is not meant to be negated and destroyed. It's meant to be negated from a lower self perspective in order to reflect something infinite, something higher. But then the higher level is neshama, intellect. Yavan, the Greeks, corrupted the concept of intellect. And we've given plenty of shirim on how Greek wisdom is the highest level of non-Jewish wisdom, which does not interconnect, and it's not a holistic intellect. It's not intellect that connects physical and spiritual. It's not intellect that connects to Hashem. It's not intellect that embraces anything other than human intellect. As the famously says, that you know the Greek philosophers only were able and were willing to accept that which they intellectually embraced and understood. Nothing beyond the intellect. What goes beyond the intellect, which is very connected to what we're going to talk about today is this higher realm, the higher realm of Das, higher realm of Jewish Chachma, and it connects to the realm of Atzilos, of oneness, of deep spiritual existential wisdom. It's the deeper Torah thought. And the Ma'aral discusses how Rome, Edom, that is the, the, the Malchios, it's the kingdom that came to corrupt that concept they corrupted the idea of oneness, they they corrupted the idea of higher spiritual experience, higher spiritual wisdom. How? So let's talk about this. First of all, the idea is very powerful. The Maharal talks about how the Yavanim, the Greeks, were able to enter into the Heichal. Why? Because the Heichal, we've talked about many times, how we live in a three-dimensional world, right left forward backwards ups and down right that's a that's really six and the seventh is that which interconnects us so this three-dimensional world represents the concept of seven which is why the whole physical world is built off of seven you have seven days in the week seven uh, notes in the in the musical scale seven lights in the spectrum of light uh, seven uh, we can go through endless shav mitzvah noach and the shavimim there are so many sevens that represent the concept of the natural right? It's sheva means Svi'ah, it's, it's the same root as as being full, it's, it's that which is the physical, complete structure. But Shmona, Shamin, which is, literally means fat, is that which expands lamala min hatavah, that which expands beyond the natural, that's the realm of Torah, that's the realm of deeper spiritual experience, that's why Chanukah, which is the Chag of Torah Shvapah, is not only eight days, but it's the Chag of Shemen, oil, and the oil was in the menorah, a beautiful, deep concept we talked about many times. The Yivanim were able to corrupt the 7th, but the 8th transcended the Yivanim. So the, the Yivanim were able to go into the Heichal, which, remember, 7 days of the week, that's how long the, the the bread and the Shulchan lasted, and the menorah was, at least before Hanukkah, the Chantah menorah is 8 candles, the menorah in the Heichal is 7 candles, the Yivanim were able to corrupt the number of 7. But 8? Shemen? shmona, Torah? Torah oraisah? Or? Light Shemen creates or or is Oraisa Torah. The, the kohen, Kohanim, Koin Gadol, that's they were eight. The Koin Gadol was eight. Begadim eight transcended the Yavanim. So, the concept of eight, the concept uh, of that higher level of wisdom the higher Torah thought was able to overcome the Yavanim. But the Romans. They did something very interesting. The Romans were able to transcend the Yavanim. Because what the Romans did is they, they basically created oneness of all non-Jewish cultures. They took the best of everything. They took Greek culture. They took Greek the mathematics and art and, and philosophy. And, and they took all of the aspects of the Greek culture. And they harmonized it into everything else that the Romans did. So the Romans really were just a oneness culture. They created oneness out of everything that came before them, and they were able to just expand it and and spread it. And they were able to transcend the particularity of the Greeks and enter into a corrupted version of oneness. Which is why the idea of the Koshakudashim of the realm of oneness, that which is l'malaminateva, that which is beyond space and time, the Romans came to fight that, to contradict it, and to destroy it. And that's why Titus HaRash's battle was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It was against HaKodesh Baruch Hu himself. It was against Atzmo. He came to fight against HaKodesh Baruch Hu. He, he, he attacked the Parochus, which we're going to get into why he attacked the Parochus. The Parochus is that which connects the Heichal to the Kodesh It It's that which connects the seventh to the eighth. Teva to l'malamin haTeva, the physical to the spiritual. He came to attack that. He came to attack the Torah. And he came to attack our unique connection with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, by, by bringing a zona, a harlot, into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So now, the question's like this. First of all, how was how was he just able to enter the, into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Even if Rome represents the evil form of oneness, the corrupted form of oneness, it doesn't make sense that he'd be able to enter into Kodesh HaKadoshim. And that's why Nefsha explains that the non-Jews were only able to destroy the physical vessel when the inner essence was already destroyed by the by the Jewish people. As in, all they had access to was to create the action that was already initiated and enabled by Klai Yisrael's averos. So the Nefeshachim explains that, klai israel already let a into the moach and machshava of klai israel I meaning they already betrayed the unique connection with hakadosh baruchu and by betraying our connection by bringing a harla a zone into our connection with hakadosh baruchu that itself destroyed the basin Mikdash. all titus all the romans were able to do is just bring into physical expression that which was already initiated and accomplished by the Jewish people themselves. We already did it to ourselves. And all Titus was able to do was to manifest a, a limited physical expression of that which we did. Evil is powerless to good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world to reveal his ultimate oneness, his ultimate goodness, and that would require an entire series, not just an entire she'er, to really delve into what that means. Once again, the Rambacham D'Astumos really goes deep into this idea, beautifully unfolds this, goes even deeper than he does in Derech Hashem, and Sil Shishayim, and all of his others for him. Das is really where he grapples with this, the concept of evil, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created evil, how he created evil, and the purpose of evil, and the ultimate purpose for existence. In addition to giving us the ultimate good, it's also to reveal the ultimate oneness of HaKadosh Now, let's delve a little deeper. So, because we destroyed the spiritual base that Titus was able, and the Romans were able to destroy the physical base because we brought a zona into the Kodesh HaKodesh of our mind, of our moach, of, of our inner chambers, so to speak, Titus was able to do the same to the Kodesh of in the physical world. Why specifically the Puroches? And why blood? Why did blood pour out? The Puroches is the heart. It is the unique point of connection between the Heichal and the Kodesh HaKodesh, like we just mentioned. By stabbing the parochas, Titus was destroying the connection between the physical and the spiritual, between us and the Kodesh Baruch Hu. He destroyed the concept of Torah, brought a Torah into the Kodesh HaKadoshim and created that horrendous act in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But to take a step further, there was a nes nice that there was a miracle that Kodesh Baruch Hu allowed to happen for the, for, for evil. Like, it was, it was the ultimate revelation that we as Klai Yisrael had corrupted the connection between us and the Gash We had let it go. We had, we failed to appreciate what it was, what it is, what it could be. And Titus simply was the messenger, the shliach, who showed that to us. But now we get into something absolutely profound, and this is going to open up into such an incredibly deep topic, a topic which I will be honest with you, you might not understand the first time you hear it, you might not understand the second time you hear it, but this is the concept, which is the heart and core of everything, and it's worth listening to over and over again and just endlessly grappling with it and trying to understand it because this is the essence, this is what we are striving for, this is what Tisha B'av represents in terms of what we've lost and this is what we're trying to get, but this is what Titus HaRasha thought he destroyed. Titus HaRasha, the Gemara says that he killed Atzmo, thought he killed Atzmo. So Rashi says euphemism, he thought he killed Akash Baruch What does Atzmo actually mean? Atzmo means himself. Titus thought he killed himself. So Rashi says it doesn't really mean he thought he killed himself, it means he thought he killed Hashem can't even say that. Like that, That's the most ridiculous statement to, to possibly say. And how can he even fathom the idea that he was able to kill? Uh, you know, a how can he even say, how can he even think that? So a simple understanding is that uh, there's an element of ego. He, he was uh, so egotistical, so thought, he thought that he knew everything. He thought that he was everything. Remember, certain, there are certain characters throughout Torah thought, throughout Torah history, that they thought they were their own creators. So Amalek, Mitzrayim, different different uh, kingdoms, different enemies of Chaisal. Some of their attacks were against HaKash Some of them were saying that HaKash Prochut didn't exist. Some were basically saying Akash Prochut didn't exist. We create ourselves. Different forms. I will just add one point, which is so important. Once you get into genuine, deeper thought, you're not hearing cute Vartalchan the Parsha, but you're hearing deeper... Like mind-blowing, earth-shattering ideas, every single villain in Torah thought is always infinitely deeper than the surface level. You get the Korach, you get the Bilaam, you get to Amalek, you get to Mitzrayim, you get to all of these paradigmatic figures and 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 kingdoms and enemies of Kla Yisrael. You begin to realize there's something so much deeper at hand. It's not simply you know bad people trying to do bad things. There's always something so much more sophisticated and even something, I wouldn't say potentially good, but there's an element of they think they might be doing something good in some sense. And not all of them, but some of them, we think of them as villains and they actually think of themselves as heroes. And it's, a, it's a very interesting to think about that. The Miraculum, so many classic uh, paradigmatic figures and sins in Jewish history Shaol Shaulson, so many of them, they thought they were doing something good. It's never black and white. It's never simple. Just like we began this year saying nothing simple. Nothing in life is simple. Everything is nuanced. Everything is qualified. Everything requires uh, sophisticated, balanced thought. That's what using your seichel is. It's learning how to balance ideas. We're going to get to das in a moment. But part of how Titus, part of how the enemies of Claustral they can do these things is because of the mida of oz. Oz literally means you can you can translate it as as brazenness or strength of mind but the the Pasuk in Tehillim, if you want to look up for yourself it's it's Samach Vav, Pasuk gimel it says so the Jewish people, they recognize Hashem's awesomeness, but Rishayim, they they use O's to contradict and fight against Hashem. So what does that mean? What is O's? Hashem owes the Amoitein. Jewish people are people of O's. We are you know, stiff-necked, so to speak. We, we fight for what we believe in, whether it's, it's right or wrong. We fight for it, and the hope is that we're usually fighting for what's right. But O's can be fighting for what's wrong. It can be brazenness to not let anything convince you otherwise. It's the idea of not letting anything penetrate you. It's to stand against all resistance. It's preventing anything from penetrating your hearts, which in this case, when we talk about Rishayim, who used the meat of oaths, it's not allowing the truth to penetrate your heart. So they use the very strength, the very oath that HaKadosh gave them. They use it against Hashem to battle against Hashem. And that's what allows Titus to, to fight against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. even though it's paradoxical it doesn't make any sense. How does that make any sense? How can you fight against Hashem? But we find this so often. We find this by, by Migdal Bavel. We find this by Amalek. We find it by here by Titus. We find it by Gogu Magog. We find it so, the Dor HaFlaga, when it came to Migdal Bavel, they tried to disconnect from Hashem. How does that make any sense? Because... If you think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not constantly giving the world existence, if you think that you are disconnected from Hashem, then if you, I don't even know how to say the words, if you kill, if you destroy, if you're cut off from, then from that perspective, you'll, you'll still exist. You'll be free. You'll be fine. You'll be a god unto yourself. But if you understand that the only reason you exist every single second is because Hashem wills you into existence, the only reason why the world continues to exist is because Hashem, just like electricity, it's a constant electric flow. The world is constantly being flowed into existence, willed into existence by Hashem's ration, by Hashem's thinking and willing us into existence. Really, willing and thinking, because will is the root of thought. Nef talks about this how we build things and it just stays by itself. Akash Baruch, who creates the world, it's a constant flow. Istakel b'raisa b'or is not a one-time thing. It's a constant flow. So I just had a chiddush. It's estakel. Just recently, I was thinking about it. why estakel b'raisa. Why you know peering into the Torah b'or alma? Because histaklus is a gazing. It's a constant. It's not ri'ir. It's not to see it. It's not you saw it. You look at it. It's a constant gazing. Istakel The Torah is not. So to speak, where Hashem used to then He then create the world. It's the Torah itself is the blueprint, the genetics, the foundation, the cosmic reality that creates the world. Is bar alma. looked into the Torah. He 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 gazed into it and used it, and that the world is an expression of Torah, not you know chamishah Torah, but the root concept. Uh, as the deeper value talked about, Torah has levels first Torah that was given, uh, the first Luchos was that higher Torah. Th- those luchus were shattered, and we have the second Torah, which is, so to speak, a lower form of that Torah. We are supposed to rebuild toward that original higher root Torah. That's also where Abikiva Kiva and, you know, uh, the-, the four who went into the pardes, they entered the higher dimension of Torah thought. But the idea is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gazed into Torah and it's a constant willing into existence using Torah as the blueprint of reality. The Torah is the revelation of the will and rat's and the chachma of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So what is going on here? The ability to think you can disconnect from Hashem is, is, the, is the, the fallacy, the mistake in it, is thinking that you can exist without Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only thing that needs to exist. And it's also... You know, we can't really say Akash Baruch Hu exists, he's beyond existence. But he's also the only reason why you continue to have existence. And without Akash Baruch Hu willing us into existence, we would not exist. So Titus HaRasha and all of these classic, which you know, Amalek, Dor HaFlaga, they made the mistake that they can exist without Hashem. And by attacking and, so to speak, overcoming Hashem, like you have in these classic uh, Greek uh, mythologies where the gods would attack the titans. Just, the titans are just more powerful gods so if you think that as a nation you are all powerful spiritually then you can just fight against Hakash Baruch because he's just another powerful spir- spiritual being but that's not how it works Hakash Baruch Hu isn't powerful he's beyond power he's the source of power he's a source of existence the source of life nothing can exist without Hakash Baruch Hu in Od Milvado. now Titus came to destroy Atzmo what does Atzmo mean what does that mean? That he has came to destroy Atzmo. So this is so powerful. So on a very simple level, we can say that it means, that, Qadish, he Lushunaki. Lushunaki. He, he, really means that he tried to kill Karshbaruchu. It's a lashon He 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 the Gemara really means that he tried to kill Karsh. I don't feel comfortable. he can't even see these words. He tried to kill, it, but really, you know, it just says he tried to kill Atzmo. Atzmo actually is one of the names for Akash Baruch. Atzmo versus Kvodu. Atzmo is Akash Baruch himself. Kvodu is how he expresses himself into the world, reveals himself to the world. The world is a revelation of spiritual truth, a revelation of Akash Baruch, his will and his wisdom. And if you look at Gemara B'Sachem Daf Gimelman Aleph, and in, in multiple places, it talks about this kind of Lashinaki of speaking in, in a clean way. So, and it's actually very interesting because usually Lashem Naki means the exact opposite of what it actually is trying to say. So Titus tried to kill ha- so it says that he tried to kill himself. So it doesn't really mean he tried to kill Hashem, it means, like, the, the I mean, it, it actually means he tried to kill Hashem, but it says that he tried to kill himself. And that's also some interesting examples when you talk about Sony Yisrael, well, we're really talking about, Klai Israel. We're talking about when Klai Israel does, unfortunately, horrible things. It's called Sony Israel. They don't really hate Israel. It's talking. It's just you know, it's the exact opposite of what we're trying to say. Also, uh, someone's blind. We often call him Sagi Nahor, someone who is, you know, plenty of light, full of light. It's the exact opposite. He can't see anything. He's blind. So that's a simple approach. Is Lashon but there's a deeper approach. A deeper approach is whenever there's Lashunaki, whenever there's a euphemism, every euphemism has an aspect of truth in it. Sony Israel, the fact that they did these things, there's an aspect of, of hatred uh, for Yisrael because all of Kal Yisrael is connected, and the fact that you can do this, you're actually hurting everyone. So there is an aspect of Sony Israel there. A sagi Nahor is blind? you think of him as he can't see anything but very often people who can see are blinded by physical sight they are stuck in the physical they don't see anything but someone who lives in the realm of thought the realm of ideas he or she is truly full of light that type of person truly sees and if that's the case then we are stuck with the question of what does it mean that Titus HaRasha tried to kill Atmo? what is Atsmo? What does it mean that he killed the self he killed what self what are we talking about here what is the self so to open up this topic and to understand this topic and i know that this is going to take patience because we still have a ways to go if we're going to truly understand this unbelievably powerful topic to understand the nature of the self and the nature of atsmo we need to understand the concept of das what is Das? So Das can be translated as intellect, it can be translated as knowledge, but it's something infinitely more. And there are psukhim that talk about Das. Uh Pesuk says, Very, very interesting ideas talking about Das and the importance of Das, and knowing Hashem, becoming aware of Hashem, but Das has other meanings as well. In the Rambam, the Rambam says that the purpose of the world, he uses a very interesting lesson. He says the purpose of the world is to form an Uma sheyodat Es Hashem, a nation that knows Hashem. What is this type of Das? Is Das just knowledge, just intellectual knowledge, just using our senses to know things? If the purpose of life is to know Hashem. What does it mean to know Hashem? What does Das mean? So, this is a topic which i would say is in a certain sense beyond words words are the things the mechanisms the tools that we use to express thoughts and ideas but they're also limited when you experience something fantastic something amazing you say like whoa someone says like what was so what was so good you're like ah wow sometimes you're unable to express things into words because they're beyond words sometimes you're unable to express things into words because you don't know them so if Chaim Rebrisk, was famous for saying that if you're learning a sugi begin in Shas, you're going through a shakal retire, you're learning how to, you're breaking up a sugi, you're trying to understand, the, you know, comparing the Rambam to the Ramban, and Rashi's understanding, and the Rashba's hakira here, and you're learning tosas are written. So if you can't put it into words, you don't know it. When we're talking about Torah, Shabalpe, we're talking about intellectual das, intellectual knowledge. If you can't print into words, you don't know it. We're talking about deeper spiritual wisdom. We're talking about like, going into the deeper realms of Jewish thought. Very often, if you could put it into words, you don't know it. Why do we talk in words? Why am I going to try to express these ideas into words? Because the only way for you to get to them, to understand them, is for me to clumsily put them into words, and then for you to use the words to get back to the ideas that are beyond words. So it's kind of like teaching you how to ride a bike. I can't explain to you how to ride a bike. I can show you. I can do it until you know how to ride a bike. And once you know how to ride a bike, you will not be able to explain to me in words how to ride a bike, but you'll be able to know it it's experiential knowledge, it's knowledge which you have by experience, by trying it for yourself, by getting to it yourself. I can guide you, I can show you, but at the end of the day, you're gonna have to put in the work, you're gonna have to open up your mind, and you're gonna have to allow the ideas to guide you, and allow the words to guide you back to those root ideas. So let's work, let's work. The first type of das, the first type of das is, let's frame it like this, das means connection. Whether we're talking about knowledge, whether we're talking about deeper spiritual wisdom, deeper spiritual experience, das is that which connects you to something deeper. It's that which connects you to that which is outside of you, or to deeper parts, deeper aspects of you, of your consciousness, of yourself, of your soul, of your very self in essence. And to frame it I'll, I'll show you three different types of das one type of das is connecting two different people together so when it talks about the connection of adam and chava it talks about their marriage union their connection the torah talks about it in the lotion of das that adam knew chava why because that's how they created oneness adam and chava were created as one one in drag and dragon being and then they were broken up into two different beings and then Kosh Baruch allowed them to go on the journey of recreating that oneness marriage is creating oneness creating connection through the concept of das das is the the medium of connecting two into one and when that two becomes one there's actually still remain two when you're married you still are individuals but you create a oneness that transcends the sum of the parts so when you get married and you invest yourself your consciousness your talents your mind your efforts your everything into the relationship you create a unified shared self that is beyond the two individual selves And that's why the connection between Adam and Chava is called the connection of Das, because marriage is transcending the individual self, and it's the ability to become more than just that which you are. And it's, it's, as the Ramban says, it teaches you how to build a relationship with Hashem, it teaches you how to expand beyond yourself and devote yourself to that which is greater than yourself, to create the ultimate oneness relationship. And that marriage of Hashem, it's you basically become part of the infinite. You become part of the root of reality. You realize you're a chilek al kamal. You're an aspect of of reality, of truth. G'adosh Baruch put you in this world to go on the journey of, of self-awareness and self-becoming and realizing who you truly are, what you truly are part of. And the concept is like this. Das is... and I'll say it like this because it is a little it's a little complicated but when you, when you have chassad you have din you have tafaris you have right, left and, and center when you take two different things and you harmonize them together into a oneness you create tafaris when you take a male and female take two different people and you create that harmony that oneness you create a true oneness which then gives rise to what? gives rise to a child. That which manifests from the unison. So whenever you create oneness from disparate parts, something arises from that unison, from that oneness, from that harmony. And that is the concept of teferis. That is the concept of of marriage that creates offspring, creates an expression. That's the idea of when you become married to Torah, you have chidushim, the ideas which are, are given... They arise from the unison between you and Torah, between you and Akash Baruch Chachma. That's also the beauty of a Bar Mitzvah or a Bat Mitzvah. What's a Bar Mitzvah or a Bat Mitzvah? When you become a Bar or a Bat Das, you become mechuyiv in mitzvahs. Why? Because Das, when you become a Bar Das, you're able to connect to the infinite, you're able to connect to Hashem. What is mitzvah? It comes from the Lushan of Tzav the Maharal explains. Why? Because Tzav Tov is connecting. Mitzvahs aren't commandments. They're that too, but you're not like an officer in an army just doing what Hashem commands. Safta means connection. You do mean just to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Unbelievable. When do you become mitzvah? When do you become commanded to connect to the infinite? When you're able to. When you become a barbat das, able to connect. What's the sign of a barbat das? Unbelievable. What's the, what's the sign of when you're a barbat mitzvah? When you are able to not only connect to the infinite spiritually, but also physically, because the physical is always an expression of the spiritual. What's the physical sign? When you have puberty, when you start to get pubic hairs, because then you're able to what? To create physical das, to not only spiritually connect to Hashem intellectually, and in terms of being a, 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 someone who is mitzvah, but you're also able to create das in marriage and connection and create offspring, which is that concept expressed in the physical world. And that's why, why, well, what's hair? Hair is always an expression of spiritual potential. That's why we grow the most hair in the most potent areas of our, of our body. By our head, which is our moach, our seichel. By our armpits, that's where we express, you, you be a daim right? We take our our hands, we express through mice into the physical world, and by our private parts, by our Ivarim, our, for recreation, for for creating oneness in marriage, because that's the most potent, an aspect the most potent spiritual expression of creating oneness, of expanding outward into the world. Whenever we're talking about outward expansion, of being able to, so to speak, connect and express into the physical, that's the concept of hair. We're not going to get into the Nazir, and Nazir, why he doesn't cut his hair, and spirit and Sphere, lots of very powerful ideas when it comes to hair uh, and Harseir and Asav, Lots of very, very, very interesting ideas. But hair is the concept of the potential for outwards expression of spiritual potential into the physical world. Beautiful, beautiful ideas. And I'll give you one last incredible idea just because we're so many things are coming together. This is. Torah is just simply unbelievable. There's nothing as incredible as Torah. Torah is simply the beyond words how, how unbelievably amazing, extraordinary, and pleasurable, and pure, and perfect Torah is. It's just such a privilege to be able to think about Torah, to learn Torah, to be in love with Torah, to be in love with Hashem. When we think about the concept of Bar Mitzvah, What do you notice? Bar Mitzvah is what age? Thirteen. Thirteen das das connecting into a oneness. What did we say? We said that the world is three-dimensional. That's why the mara always talks about six, seven, eight. Six are the three dimensions. Right, left, forward, backwards, ups and down. Up and down. Seven is that which interconnects. That's Shabbos. That's the seventh. Seventh which connects all the pieces together. That's why Shabbos is also not only the bookends of the week, but it's also the mill, the center of the week. That's why you can make Havdel until Tuesday, Tuesday night. What's going on here? The eighth is l'malaminateva, it transcends the parts. You look at a cube, you have six sides, but the seventh is the fact that all the sides are connected. The eighth is that which emanates from the parts. So you have a physical body, the soul is that which is l'malaminateva. You have a radio, the, the, the parts of the radio are the six, those are the parts. Seventh is that they're all put together in the right way. The eighth is the radio frequency that comes from the radio. The same way you have for 13, why? Because when you look at a cube, you have six sides, but you also have 12 lines. Twelve, The 12 are the parts. The 13th is that which gets das, that which connects it together. That's Klai the 12 shvatim. Yaakov Avinu is the 13th. Yaakov Avinu is that which is the root, the av, the chord which connects the 12 shvatim together. That's why you have 12 shvatim, and really in different ways of counting, you have 13. Without getting into, you know, Yosef has two sons, but Yosef is also an... He's, he's one of the bottom one of the shorts he's also an av. So you get 13 within the 12. You also have 13 if you include Yaakov for the regular 12. Unbelievable ideas here. What's the idea? The idea is like this 13 is the same idea as 6, 7, 8. You have 12, 13, 14. So 6 is the pieces, 12 is the lines. 6 is the size, 12 is the lines. 7 is that which connects them together. 13 is that which connects them together. That's why Shabbos is not. Sh- Shabbos is the seventh. Eight is L'malame tava 14 is L'malame HaTava. Once you become a Bar Mitzvah, 13, then you become a Bar Das, able to connect them together. That's the beauty of the number 13. There's so many 13s, uh, 13 Midos to darshin the Torah, so many different types of 13s. There's a lot of depth in the Rambam. Yad Chazaka, the Rambam always loved the number 14, did everything in 14s, the true number of eight of L'malame HaTava. We're not going to go into all the different 14s, but... Once you have these tools, ideas, you can start to see all the expressions in Torah where it talks about the power of the number 8, the power of the number 14, Yod chazaka. Yad also has the gematria. Yad is a hand, right? Yad is a hand, of gematria 14. Through your maisa, you express the infinite. Unbelievable. And we're not going to go into it now, but you also have... Uh, If you look at the amount of joints you have on your hand, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen on each yad. Fourteen. Count the in each finger. You have three in your pinky, three here, three here, and two on your thumb. That's fourteen. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff right here. So what's the idea? The idea is that when you become a bardas, you're able to connect the infinite, you're able to connect the transcendent. That's number one. So the first concept is intimate connection the ability to truly connect pieces together and to create something that transcends some of the parts to connect from the physical to the spiritual the second type of das, second aspect of das, is true knowledge it's when you learn something and it becomes so much a part of you in your consciousness that it actually becomes a part of your existential existence you can learn something and forget it you can learn something and it just becomes something you learned and that's why people forget all the time But you don't forget things which are connected to your identity, connected to who you are, connected to your very existence itself. You don't forget your name. You don't forget things that are core to who you are. And true learning is connecting the ideas that you learn to who you are. You don't learn Torah intellectually, theoretically. It's what I mean. He says that Osef Mitzvah, Mitzvah does not apply to Talmud Torah because the whole purpose of Torah is living Torah. It's not something which is just theoretical, something which becomes who you are. The purpose is to become Torah, to live Torah, to express Torah, not to allow it to become something distant from who you are in your identity. Das is connecting knowledge to your existential true being. And... I'll give you a good example. Sometimes we can know things, but we don't even understand why that's the answer. You ever, you ever have a, a problem? So let's say you're doing a math problem, or you know, just a question comes up and you, you know the answer, but you don't yet know why that's the answer. Like it's a knowledge which is distant from who you are. It's not integrated, it's not experiential, you don't understand it, it's not true knowledge, it's still, so to speak, mechanical. That's not true knowledge. Das is when you connect something to who you are. It becomes part of your mind, part of your infrastructure. You know how to apply it, you understand it. It becomes truly part of your internal knowledge framework. The third type of knowledge, and this is one of my favorites, because one of the biggest struggles of being human beings One of the biggest struggles that we have is that very often we know what's right, we know what we should do, but we struggle to do it. We know we shouldn't eat that, we know we shouldn't say that, we know we shouldn't hang out with those people, we know we shouldn't watch that, we know we shouldn't go there, we know we shouldn't, all these things that we know, and yet we're still not living by that knowledge. Why? Because it's not the right type of knowledge. Knowledge that's das is knowledge that you experience so powerfully it's impossible not to do that. The way Nevsha Chaim talks about it is that Malachun cannot sin because for them sinning, they have Bechira theoretically, they could sin, but for them it's like walking into a fire. It's like walking into non existence. You wouldn't do that. For us, the reason why we're able to do the impossible to do of Eros is because we have free will. We can block out intellectual knowledge and just ignore it. I know it's bad for me, I'm going to do it anyways. Why? That's what free will is. We don't have clarity. We don't have absolute knowledge. We have theoretical intellectual knowledge. So until intellectual knowledge becomes internal experiential knowledge which is tied up into you are where it's impossible, where I know that in Navera, that's what Yerush achit is. Yerush achit is, I know the impact of Navera so powerfully it's impossible for me to sin. I can't even imagine doing it. But until it becomes true knowledge, you're able to do it. Because until it becomes true knowledge, you're able to distance intellectual knowledge from who you are and just ignore it while you do it. It's like, imagine gaining 100 pounds every time you eat something unhealthy. You wouldn't do it. But because we live in a world where impact and effect of action is distant, we're able to just live lies because the truth is not powerful enough. It's not powerfully experienced and doesn't powerfully affect us enough to live within a world of pure truth. Because this is... a. You know, it's all chakra in the sense that it's a world which does not reveal the ultimate truth, obviously. You have to become in tune and in touch with it. You have to work to, to look past the surface. It takes an entire lifetime for knowledge to become part of you. And that really delves into another topic, which we're not going to go to right now, but the fourth aspect of Das is harmonizing all the aspects of the self together. So it's harmonizing the nafesh ruach, neshama, the physical, emotional, intellectual. It's creating oneness within the self. We're talking about creating oneness between you know husband and wife between us and Hashem, between us and knowledge, but it's also creating oneness between us and ourselves, different aspects of ourselves, all of our different wants and desires. We wanna, you know, be physically healthy, we wanna have emotional stability, we want to be intellectually growing, we want to grow in our relationships and our finances, our connection with Hashem. What about all those aspects? It's creating oneness between all the aspects of ourself. And now we get to the main topic. Titus Harasha tried to kill Atzmo. What is Atmo? What is Atmo? So let's try to build this. We're gonna try to understand what Das really is. What is Das, what are are we trying to connect to with Das? This higher knowledge, this higher Atma, this Atma. Who are you? Who are we? What does it mean to be human? What is the self? The true self, the true self, we've talked about this many times, the true self is a perfect, perfect being. Who we really are, it's a perfect, all-knowing, all-good, higher consciousness. A neshama, a truly perfect, angelic being. It's a higher consciousness, a higher self, a higher mind, which is aware of all, understands all, knows all, is all. It's, you know, Adam HaRishon, the Midrash says that Malachim confused him with Hashem. He was built by he was built as truly a godly being. And the Gemara says that we are, when we are in the womb, we are all in that perfect stage, that perfect stage of we, we are, we learn Kola, Torah, Kula, and the Vilna Gon says you are exposed to everything you are, your perfect self, and everything you're supposed to be, everything you could be, and then you lose that because our job in this world is to get re-in-touch, to re-establish a connection with who we truly are. To pull away all the the facades all the illusions all the 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 blockades that are blocking us from true consciousness from true awareness of who we truly are and it's getting back in touch an endless journey to our true self that's a lech lecha journey It's journeying to our true and ultimate self and rev explains that there are two aspects of the self two aspects of ourself as we are born in this world The first aspect of the self is the outer mind. The second is the inner mind. And das is what helps us access the inner mind. So what's the outer mind? What's the inner mind? The outer mind is the realm of all physical experience, experiencing the world through our five senses, through hearing, seeing, smelling, taste, and touch. It is engaging with the physical world. It is using intellect, using our senses, to engage in physical experience, to engage in the physical world, engage with other people, engage with uh, ideas. It is a world of reason, a world of logic, a world of physics, and a world of matter, of finitude, of the finite, of the limited, of the physical. One plus one equals two. It's a world of reason. It's a world of yavan, a world of logic, a world of philosophy, a world of science. The inner mind, which is, remember, the outer mind is the outer eye. It's The Veselor calls it hamabat the outer eye. But hamabat hapenimi, the inner eye, the inner mind, that's what the das gives us access to. Das is connecting to this higher realm of knowledge. What's the... This inner consciousness, this inner self awareness, is true knowledge, true existence. It's a true awareness, true experience. And I'm not going to get into all the classic philosophers who debated the nature of existence because they determined that all we can truly know is through the hamabat hachitoni, the outer eye, and therefore we don't know what truly is. Kant. Many other famous philosophers really broke down what is knowledge, what we can know. But this inner mind, this inner eye, this higher knowledge, that is what we're after. And no machine can have this because it's the part of you that's connected to the spiritual, to the infinite. It's the part of you that relates to another person's in For example, when you look at me and I look at you, all I can see is your physical body using my physical senses, but I know that I'm talking to an inner consciousness. I can't see your mind. I can't see your thoughts. I can see that which is not physical. I can not see the spiritual, but through the physical, I can engage with the spiritual. I can't see Hashem, but through the physical world, I can engage. I can't know what Hashem thinks and wants, but through the Torah, I can. Through that physical medium, through the muscle, through the analogy, through the limited expression, I can get back to the actual root. And when you learn how to read reality, as not an illusion where everything is fake, but an allusion where everything leads you to something higher, to something deeper, to something more profound and spiritual. That's learning to see with your inner eye, your inner mind. And the inner mind is the ability to connect to this higher dimension of reality. It's what makes us human. Robots can only process, it's input-output. There's no inner experience, there's no inner self-awareness. that's the the fundamental question and problem with artificial intelligence but you are aware you know that you know you know that you're aware you're aware that you're aware there's this endless cycle of selfness of of awareness of consciousness that is beyond just the parts and pieces it's beyond input output there's you and That's why science has a very big problem with consciousness, because you can't really concretize consciousness. You can't test it. It's not measurable. It's infinite. It's not finite. And even though there's a certain sense that this is beyond words, I'll try to put it into words. I'll try to give you some examples. There are things that we know, and we've talked about this several times, there are things that we know that are beyond the intellect, beyond reason, beyond philosophy, beyond science, that you know them because you know them. You know them deeply within your awareness of self, within your experience, and not just emotional experience. I'm talking about higher awareness, higher experience. So for example, how do you know that you exist? You know that you exist because you know that you exist. This is Descartes' famous proof, I think, therefore, I am. What that really means is not that I think, therefore, I am. It means the fact that I can ask if I think, that if you understand what Descartes is actually saying, he's like, the fact that I can ask myself, who's thinking? Who's asking that? I'm asking that. I am aware that I am aware. I'm aware that I'm asking, that I'm thinking. That's the proof that I exist. I don't know if there's, for example, I can't prove that you exist, all I know is that you have a body, that there's a body. I don't know that there's a consciousness inside that's truly self-aware and thinking and willing and choosing. But based on my own experience, I could know. So I know that I exist and therefore because I know I exist, I assume that you exist as well. Free will. Can't prove that I have free will, but I experience it every time I struggle to make a decision, to make a moral decision. How do I know that my life has meaning and purpose? How do I know that I was here put in this world for a reason? How do I know that there's anything that transcends the physical world? How do I know that there's truly a sense of moral right and wrong. These are things that are not provable, but they're things that I know deeply within myself, deeply within my inner apparatus, my inner experience of who I am and why I am. And just to give you some other examples, for the record, we can spend hours on each of these topics, each of these concepts, but just so you have them for, to think about and to delve deeper into, another one is the concept of love. That there's something more than just animalistic relationships, more than just procreation, evolution, and survival of the fittest. Knowing that there's this concept of beauty, something which is unexplainable and profound, gets at the concept of teferis. But what's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is as follows. Once you understand that you exist, that there is this sense of I, the sense of self, of atzmi, of consciousness, of, of, of that which is not provable through reason, through logic, through philosophy, but that which I experience in a deeper way, I can begin to expand. And I can say, okay, I exist. So if I exist... You exist, you can exist, and if you can exist, we can get expand to higher levels of consciousness. Okay, there can be a Klali self, a Klai self. Okay, there can be ha- is the, the neshama Shal nshama is the, the true self, the true ani, the true atzmo of reality, the true self of reality. Which is the way that many of the first and many million chava talk about it. Kashbarhu is the self of all self, the ani of all ni. So Hill says Imani kol kan, kan. it's not talking about him. Talk about Anochi Hashem El There's a the difference between Anochi and Ani. There's different talk. Anochi is talking about I in and of myself, and Ani is, how, is, how, I is the how I relate to others. We're not going to go into that right now. But Hillel says, Ani Kana Kolkan, and the classic question is Hillel is a pretty begun of what's he saying if Ani Kana Kolkan, if I'm here, everyone's here. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about Koshbaruch, he's talking about the true Ani. And the goal is really getting in touch with this higher sense of knowing Hashem. That's what Das gives us. Das connects the outer mind to the inner mind. It connects the physical to the spiritual. It connects us to a higher level of experience. And that's really what our goal is. Our goal is to learn how to use physical experiences to connect to the spiritual, to learn how to live with Da'os. I made a rachat beforehand, I'm just going to quickly take a drink. When you learn how to see the spiritual through the physical, that's learning how to see with your inner mind. That's learning how to see with those. And I'll just give you a couple moments, a couple ideas, a couple stories, just to help you understand what this means. Because in the truest sense, it's when you feel, when you're able to get past the future and the present and melt into the present in the intense way where it seems to swell to infinite proportions where you are so in touch with reality with existence with awareness with experience with being alive with being in this world that's tapping into true das that's trapping into true awareness true true atsmo that's me who it was mean to be I to be here to be alive to be in the world very often we're so stuck in very unimportant things and paying the bills and you know what people think of us and succeeding in our whatever goals that we have there are not of true importance that we don't tap into das we don't trap into true existence but here are some examples when we truly tap into das we truly tap into the awareness of true reality of true existence of true awareness one example is have you ever hopefully you haven't but if you've ever been in a near-death experience Everything fades away. And all that's left is a raw, potent awareness that you're alive. For example, let's say you're swimming in the ocean and a wave comes over and you're pushed underneath and and all of a sudden you're hundreds of feet underneath the water and you can't breathe. And you're not worrying about paying the bills. You're not worrying about what that person said about you. You're not worrying about where you're gonna eat for lunch or for dinner. All you're thinking is like, whoa, I am alive and I'm not going to be alive anymore. And there is this euphoric experience of being alive and then the dread of the realization of how valuable that life is and that you might lose it. And when you somehow get past that wave and you're able to go back to the surface, you take that first giant breath of air and there's this rush, this euphoric rush of, oh my gosh, I am alive. If you've ever heard of someone who has a terminal illness? and they go to the doctor's office and all of a sudden the doctor gives them the great news that they're cured. They jump out and they're jumping for joy, they're skipping off buildings, what happened? They're alive, no, no one else who's alive is so happy. You have to wait for something great to happen to you. But you realize the power of existence itself, you realize the power of awareness of life, of truly being alive. It's the same thing if you've ever been on a plane with turbulence and all of a sudden there's turbulence and everything else in your life just fades away and all you care about is oh my gosh am i going to survive and you care about your you think about your your wife or your husband and your children and you basically like your, your identity and being alive and you suddenly start to experience what's truly real and what's truly important in life And then you say you tap into true awareness true reality the oneness of the Kodosh Baruch, the oneness of truth the oneness of reality And that's our struggle. We're not aware enough. We're not tapped into dust. And there's this battle. Have you ever tried to think about the infinite? Our lower mind, our outer mind, our logical mind, tries to stop us from truly contemplating and experiencing the infinite. From truly experiencing that which is Minateva i've shared this story before but the story of a boy a teenage boy who goes out and thinks about like wow the, the sky goes out at the night sky and starts staring at the sky and he says like the stars seem to be infinite they must go on forever and then the next moment he says no it has to stop somewhere it probably stops you know at some point but then the moment later he's like no what do you mean it can't stop what's what's after that he has to keep going but then he's like okay it keeps going but where does it end and there's just this back and forth between finite and infinite finite and infinite Inner mind, outer mind. We struggle to connect to the infinite. And I'll share just an interesting idea. We're not going to go into this because it's a whole discussion. But this is the battle between the East and the West. The West embraces reason and philosophy and logic. And it's the Western world. But the East, and remember, Avram gave gifts to the East. And we're not going to go into where Western knowledge comes from, but that's a whole famous debate. But for now, we'll just say West against East. Avram gave wisdom to the East, but that wisdom is Eastern wisdom. It's a wisdom that just rejects reason and logic, just goes only for the infinite. It's, you know, the world of Buddhism, the world of just rejecting physical expression as illusion, not allusion. And you have these two opposing forces of just the infinite, just the finite, and then Judaism is that unbelievable synthesis of the finite and the infinite, the spiritual and the physical, the abstract and the practical, the ethereal and the corporeal. And that's why dreams, if you think about it, dreams, the Gemara says, uh, Gemara we mentioned many times, Gemara Brachos, after the Zion mentions that Shabbos is 160th of Muhabbat. it says that dreams are 160th of Navua Of Navua. why? Because when you dream, you're able to go outside of your outer mind, outside of your physical mind, outside of your physical body, and you're able to connect to deeper spiritual experience. Deeper spiritual, you're, you're in a transcendent realm. It's a realm above time and space. That's why during the Vua, you can, so to speak, see future events. You're in a realm beyond time and space, beyond events happening. See everything as it is, so to speak. And in dreams, sometimes you are able to have hints of deja vu, hints of, of getting to future experience, hints of getting beyond time and space. So the Vinlico says you have a problem, you have a, a, a question you're struggling with and you seem to calculate, but you don't yet fully have Das and fully connect to it, when you fall asleep, that's where your mind will be able to truly connect to it. Because your mind loosens its connection to the physical body and is able to, so to speak, connect to a tr- transcendent realm where it's more able to connect to that realm of Das and higher knowledge. Beautiful ideas, beautiful ideas. Because Das creates oneness. So it's where the parts connect into oneness. And when you're able to connect from the physical, from the outer mind, into that inner mind dimension, which is what prophecy is, but what dreaming is a taste of, then you're able to connect. It's also why when you go into the shower and you stop thinking, you stop thinking, and just start being, your mind begins to connect all the pieces together and Das works on its own, so to speak. Now, before we get back to Tita Sarasha. What are the problems with the outer mind? It is hard to use the outer mind to understand the inner mind. So for someone who has never really tapped into higher awareness, higher experience, and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Rabbi Shmuel what in the world are you talking about? I remember when I first heard these ideas, it took me forever to understand them because I'd never even thought of them before, and I had no room in my mind, I had no opening in my mind for them to fit into. And part of the problem is I had to stop fitting it into my mind and allow my mind to open up and, so to speak, stretch towards it. These ideas are the most abstract, complicated ideas out there. And to really understand them, you can't just, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah, if this goes there, this goes there. There's no place in your mind for them to go. You have to recreate your mind. You have to break your mind, afferve it for you. have to shatter yourself and regrow it and, and allow your mind to open up and to build a makom for this to exist. But Rav says that trying to think about the inner mind with the outer mind is like trying to use a camera to take a picture of itself. It can't. The picture, the camera can't take a picture of itself. The most the camera can do is take a picture of a mirror reflection. But that's not the mirror, that's not the camera itself. You can't use the outer mind to understand the inner mind. You have to allow yourself to just break away from the outer mind and go deeper and deeper into the self. And if you want to just be scared for a moment, it's like a scary thought. You've never seen what you look like. You have never seen your face, not once in your entire life, and you will never be able to see your face. All you've ever saw is pictures and mirror reflections. You do not know what you look like. Now, even what you see through your eyes, what anyone sees through eyes is only what light and the reflection of light and you're not actually seeing anything you're seeing what it looks like when your mind experiences sight so sight itself is always going to be limited to an extent but you have never seen your own face with your own eyes you can't and you cannot use your outer mind your outer eyes to see your pinimi, to see your inner self you must use a different tool and that must be inner awareness it's a form of meditation it's a form of contemplation do not use intellect to try to experience that which is beyond intellect. And that's the struggle. That's the, the struggle of desire It's trying to squeeze that which is infinite into that which is finite. It's trying, it's it's, it's, an, it's un it's the inability to naturally source itself back to the roots or sources of back to Hashem. It's getting stuck within the, intermediary, in the intermediaries, and part of that is our desire to concretize everything. So we try thinking about Hashem and we give him form. It's Avodazara. That's a form of Avodazara. You cannot give form or image or any corporeal limited finite dimensions to Akash Baruchhu, but that's what we want to do. We want to bring the infinite down into the finite. And as much as there's a place for that, you, the first step is you need to first allow the infinite to be the infinite and you need to go to the infinite. Once you go to the infinite, there are ways of expressing spiritual into physical, but that's not how you start. Because then you're not expressing spiritual into the physical. You, you are not expressing, sorry, you are not expressing the spiritual into the physical. You are breaking, corrupting, and destroying the spiritual and expressing a corrupted expression that is not a true expression. Because you never went back to the root. You only tried to just bring that root down into where you are. And the first step is going to where it is, giving up your ego and then bringing it back down and that's why when we think of abstract things we often concretize it and that's the problem is that we need to learn how to first get to what they really are what they truly are in as much as we can possibly get to and that's why the other amak talks about of a veshuv that you're never going to truly be there you, you constantly are going back and forth back and forth back and forth and trying to get back to a closer Stage of root truth so that you can then bring that in a truer sense down into the physical world into understanding into experience and the Villanagone explains that this deeper wisdom this deeper das is where intellect and philosophy ends das begins where intellect ends so we're going to now try to bring it back down How do you get this, Das? How do you get this true deeper knowledge? So, one way, one way of getting this deeper knowledge is building an inner depth. It's through silence. Maral says that the Moshe didn't have a lisp, didn't have a, a defect with his speech. He was beyond speech. He lived in the realm of pure truth, truth which is beyond finite expression, beyond words. When you speak, you think about how to express that which is, so to speak, within you, beyond expression. Your words are never the thing itself. It's always a limited expression of that thought, of that truth. And part of the way that you get in touch with Das is start to become a person who is comfortable with silence, who is comfortable with spending an hour in a room by themselves just being, just even... If we're to start with even thinking or, or just being with yourself getting in touch with yourself getting more self-aware and it's an infinite journey it's a journey of lechukha, of just journeying to who you truly are which is the journey towards atzma a journey to Das Das which leads you to higher knowledge and and as we've explained many times before it's already there you just have to build it you just have to earn it you have to recreate and get in touch with yourself and that's the 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 multi-stage process the first step is okay i exist i am here i am aware i am in this world and i have certain potential i have a certain kokos i have a certain identity i i am different than everyone else and i i am me but i'm also part of something bigger than myself i'm also part of a klali self i'm part of klai Yisrael, and that self is part of a bigger self where we're you know, Akash Baruch Hu is the root of all self. And it's an endless journey of awakening, of self-awareness, of das, of higher knowledge, of higher experience, of higher truth, of higher Torah wisdom, of higher Torah knowledge. And living a life of Torah truth is living a life of expressing that truth into this world. It's living a life of being mitzvah, of connecting to Akash Baruch Hu and expressing his will into this world through me as a vehicle. My body is a vehicle for my thought and will, and I am a vehicle for Hashem's thought and will. And I, you do like to reframe it as will and thought, because will is really the root. And and, and this is an extremely powerful topic. But once we realize that you are a self, you are an atzmi, you are an etzem, you are a self, a higher consciousness, a higher being, a soul, and you have a body, but you are a soul, you are a mind, you are a self, a consciousness, then our job in life is creating that that spiritual intellectual truth into reality it's living a life in accordance with that truth which is becoming my ultimate self as an individual and becoming part of my collective klali self of kalesh and bringing awareness of akash baruchu into the world as a shliach for kalesh and our job is to build that oneness, right? I exist. I expand outwards. The, the most fundamental way to build oneness, expanding beyond myself, is marriage, having a family, but then becoming part of a community, becoming, becoming part of Kla Yisrael, becoming part of the world, creating higher and higher levels of oneness. True oneness, true love, true connection, true interconnection, devoting my life to that which is beyond myself. And that's what life is about. And that's what Titus Harasha tried to destroy. Titus HaRasha, Titus HaRasha, what did he try to do? He tried to kill Atzmo. He tried to kill Atzmo. The destruction of the self, the destruction of Atzmi, the destruction of Das, of the inner mind, of connecting that which is higher. That's what he tried to destroy. What did he do? He he stabbed the Parochas. The Parochas is that which connects the Heichel, the seventh, to the Korosh HaKadoshim, the eighth destroyed our connection from the physical to the spiritual he tried to disconnect us from our root from our etzem, from asmi from our higher selves and from our kosh baruchu and there's an aspect of he tried to destroy our connection with hashem destroy the base Mikdash, destroy our connection with atzmo, but he also destroyed that part within ourselves He destroyed our connection to the transcendent. After the Besamekta was destroyed, we lost Nivlo, we lost the miraculous. There's no more miracles, no more Nisim. We lost so much, our connection to the infinite. Because the Etsem wasn't only destroyed or cut off between us and Hashem, but between us and our own higher selves as well. We don't have that higher level of connection to ourselves. We struggle with that and in a very deep sense all that's left for most of us at least the way we start out our life and for most of our life all we have is that outer mind that outer experience and we struggle to truly come in touch with with higher experience with higher knowledge he destroyed the Titus, he destroyed our connection to the infinite he destroyed so much and the ramchal always says specifically in the astrophos he says this in many places that our connection between us and Hashem is also manifest in our own selves. So, just like our connection to the Atzmi, to the Atzmo, baruch who was distanced by the destruction of the Beis HaMekdash, by the destruction, in a certain sense, of the Parochis, of our connection to the Kosha Doshem, that occurs within ourselves. And we struggle with this. We all know that we struggle with deep spiritual connection. after he went in and corrupted the Kosh Doshim, he cut off our connection with the Parochas he cut off Das he cut off our ability to connect to the infinite and what did he do right after what was it's unbelievable what did he do he brought a Zona on a Torah scroll what does that mean Znus Znus is, is immorality it's sexual immorality but more so it's being unfaithful to to, to truth, to, to who we're supposed to connect to, how we're supposed to connect to them. The Beis HaMikdash is where Hashem connects to us. It's where we marry Hashem. Ma'an Torah was the marriage between Klaius so and Hashem, and the Ramban says that the Beis HaMikdash was a continuation of the Ma'an Torah experience. is where that marriage relationship was, and we betrayed that, and therefore, Tinas was able to go in with the Zona and embody a physical manifestation of that betrayal. And our job in life is to say, guess we made a mistake. We need to fix that mistake. We need to devote our lives to truth, to our higher selves, to, <laughs> to bringing truth into this world, to living lives of truth. And I want you to just think about this. Think about this. The Kruvim on the Arun of the Beis Amikdosh reflected the relationship between Hashem and the marriage relationship. Because I'll say that it was a male female connection, just like we're married to and when we were being loyal to that relationship, that love relationship, they were facing each other. But when we betrayed that relationship, they faced away from each other. They faced away from each other. And we broke that connection, but we need to rebuild it. And Titus was trying to tap into our betrayal and say, look at this. Look at just how far we can go and disconnect from Akash Baruch Hu, and betray that relationship. In the Kodesh HaKadoshim, like, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is really, we're not going to go so much into this right now because I want to close up because this is a lot for everyone to think about. But this is the same idea for Amalek. Amalek came to attack the connection between us and Akash Baruch but also the male-female relationship, relationship of marriage. Amalek, the, the Pesach says, Asher Karcha Maderach and Rashid gives many explanations. Three, we've talked about this in Tashirim. that was uh, uh, Lushan Keri, Lushan. Keri, uh, karah of karach of, of to cool off and also without getting into all the others that lashon's bellashon happenstance but kar means to cool off but carry is moral immorality it's really sexual immorality it's breaking down the marriage construct the concept of of marriage as being a holy relationship of sexual union as being the, the loftiest and most kudush Kiddushin is K- literally kudush in marriage is kadosh kadusha. it's the highest thing the rabbi says it's connected our relationship with the kashmash it's the highest thing possible and a Malik says it's nothing more than animalistic relations it's completely completely devoid of spiritual connection A Malik, who was his mother a concubine a concubine his very existence came into being from a non-true relationship a non-devoted relationship, a relationship that's purely physical, and that's what he came to teach, to disconnect true marriage, true oneness. And Mitzrayim, without getting into, we really can give a whole share in this, Mitzrayim is the ultimate place of spiritual emptiness. It's Yam. Remember we talked about how 6, 7, 8, and 12, 13, 14, well, when we talk about Sphere's Omer, it's seven weeks of seven, right? So it's seven weeks of seven, which is 49, and the 50th day is Ma'an Torah. We don't count that. It's Lamala min hatav, as the Maharal talks about. It's the day of Ma'an Torah. Torah is Orisa. It's Lamala Min as well. It is the 8th. Ma'an Torah was given on the 8th week, the first day of the 8th week, which is the 50th, and Mitzrayim is Mitzaryam. It comes to constrict the 50th, to limit the infinite, to destroy our connection with HaKarosh Baruch It's, so to speak, the, the ultimate place of licentiousness, like, of, of sexual immorality, and it's why Mitzrayim is also the gematria of misbar, which is number, which is limitation. Numeration is that which is limited and finite. And paro is the gematria of shana, which is, without getting into all the details, we've given shirim on how chodesh, is newness that's why we count by the chodesh by the month of of creating newness but shana is saying there's no connection to the infinite there's no newness there's no isn't willing the world into existence it's just everything is repeating itself on the same yearly cycle the sun doesn't renew itself the moon constantly renews itself as so it waxes and wanes and just for the record gematria when just given in a very you know hamish way and not explained can be completely devoid of meaning and it can be seen as like oh don't give me gematrias but when you understand the depth of the ideas and then you see the gematria as the expression, when you see the Arizal give a beautiful gematria and then you hear a and how all of the ideas that Reel just talked about open up into infinite wisdom, then gematria is powerful. So gematria on its own, I never suggest people give gematrias, but when you understand the ideas behind the gematria and then you see the gematria, it's mind-blowingly amazing. And we've given a in the concept of misbar, we've given a in the concept of shana, so when you listen to the ideas of, why that's so powerful? And then you see the gematria. It's unbelievable. But the mitzvah also said, Mi Hashem. Parah said, Mi Hashem. Who is Hashem? Meaning like, I don't acknowledge it. Give FK And it's also a place of Ervas Haaretz. When it comes to makas Bechoros, Rashi and the mitzvah explain that people didn't know whose child was who. It's a place of sexual morality, a place of disconnecting the the pure, the pure transcendence that can be within the physical. That's why on the eighth day, what do we do? We give up milah. Take the most potentially animalistic organ that could be used for completely animalistic acts and we say no you're going to use this for the most kadosh acts marriage is the ultimate act of oneness of creating oneness out of multiplicity and that's what we uplift the physical affair through Brismila. but well, before I we go on, I'll, I'll give one last point, just because I think this is the, the icing on the cake. What's the first mitzvah Kashbahu gives us right after Mount Torah? Karachot commands us to go back to our, to our you know, tents, but really the, the way Chazal talk about it is that the first mitzvah is go, to go back to our wives, for men to go back to their wives, and to engage in, in oneness, to engage in Samita. The first mitzvah after Mount Torah, because what's the whole purpose of Mount Torah? It was the meeting of the infinite with the finite. It was where we experienced HaKadosh Baruch in the deepest way possible. Roy Masakolos, the whole world, transcended the physical dimensions of existence, and we connected to the deepest realm of the spiritual root of existence, but then we came back into the physical world. And the goal of learning Torah, the goal of a Jewish life, is to express the spiritual into the physical. Once we've connected to the root, come into the physical and express it that's marriage that's physical oneness that's creating oneness in the physical world not disconnecting from the physical to connect the spiritual but using it and that's why the first mitzvah the question gave us was marriage and that's why the rambam says that before Man torah people would just get married on the street you just meet someone and get married but now we have kedushin kedushin uplifts the very concept of marriage into something much more lofty. We can give many sheer on the lambdas of Kedushin and why it's, you know, basically Kedushin is a year before Nisuan, it's a year before marriage, it's really technically the engagement, we don't do it nowadays, but it was a year before you basically take a step, a, a giant step back for a year and then you, through Kedushin, which is, so to speak, taking a step back, you then enter into marriage and are able to do it correctly. Nowadays we don't do Kedushin, but you still have that same concept of uplifting the marriage with something much more than just something animalistic, and turning it into the ultimate paradigm of connecting to the infinite through physical oneness. And that's really the message that we have to take. Because we live in a world without nevuah, without miracles, without the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why Tisha b'a for us is so sad. But it's not a simple sadness, it's an inspirational sadness, because we know what we're trying to recreate— we know what we're trying to build. We're trying to rebuild DAS. We're trying to rebuild our connection to Atzmo, both in ourselves and to Akash And the world is no longer a clear revelation of Akash Baruch We need to look past the surface. We live in a world of Purim, of Hanukkah, of, of having to really use the limited physical expression as the medium of connection to the infinite. It's no longer the way it used to be, but that's also the the beauty of it is that we live in a world where we get the opportunity to build it, to create it ourselves, to earn it. It's why once you get to Chatzos and Tisha B'av, there's an element of lessening of the Yavilas. You're able to sit in cheers again. Why? Because there's an element of Simcha, of knowing that one day Tishabav is going to be a Chag. It was supposed to be a Chag. Originally, it's going to be a Chag one day. Whole three weeks is going to be a time of Yom Tovim, of Chagim, a festive time. Because... We're now in the stage of building it ourselves, of rebuilding it. And we have the opportunity to do that. Because what, if you look at the Lushan of the Gemara, I'll pull up up the Gemara again. What does Titus say? If you look very carefully, it says, That Titus thought he killed Atzmo, but he didn't. It's still there. Our connection with Hashem is still there. Our connection with our own higher self, our own das, our ability to use das to connect to our higher self, that's still there as well. All that he did is he was able to finish the illusion, not the illusion with an A, the illusion with an I, the illusion of breaking off the connection, of breaking off the, the parochas, of saying we no longer have das, we're no longer able to connect to the infinite. No, we are. It's just harder It's difficult, and we have to build it ourselves. We have to earn it ourselves. This is our tafki. This is our entire purpose in this world is to go through the stages of awareness, of learning, of recognizing what our purpose is, and then devoting our lives to doing it. And we have the opportunity to to rebuild our das, to rebuild our connection. So while Titus uka he thought he did it, he didn't. And it's still there. And our opportunity, but also our responsibility, right now and for the rest of our lives, is to tap into Das, to tap, tap into higher awareness, to devote our lives to learning, to growing, to contributing to others, to becoming part of a bigger self, both in marriage, and a family, in a community, in Klay Yisrael, really the whole world as a whole. And to devote every aspect of our kolach, every aspect of our lives, to deepening our own Das, to deepening our own awareness, and to inspiring others in helping others tap into that level of awareness as well. So my bracha is that we should use this time not only to mourn, but to recognize the purpose of mourning, to recognize the happiness within the sadness, and that our ultimate purpose is to use this time not only to recognize what we lost, but to recognize the dafka because this is what we lost, this is what we need to rebuild. And my bracha is that we should use this time to really start the process or continue the process of tapping into das, tapping into deeper Torah wisdom, and rediscovering the fact that atzma was never lost now we can connect to our higher selves and we can still connect in the deepest way to akash barucho